Welcome to Chaos Theory Tales Askew. One of the short story Fear of a Blue Goo Planet by David Tellerman, as regaled to us by the Chaotic Centurion. It was supposed to be routine, a straightforward biosearch and retrieve. The chances of anything going wrong with those shuttles is, I don't know what it is, and probably the reason I don't know is that it never happens. So I guess that you could say we were unlucky. You could, but you'd be wrong. Out of orbit, Everything was fine. Halfway down, and we could feel the rattling, despite the dampers, despite the stabilizers and gyros. It was too late to pull up by then. The systems were showing green, but we could feel it, and there was nothing we could do. So I said to Connors, my first officer, I said, take everyone back, strap yourselves in. I wasn't trying to play the hero, I was doing my job, and he didn't thank me, he just answered, I'll see you when we're down. It was the right thing to say, and I felt better for it. But when they were gone, it was lonely there in the cockpit. As the shaking got worse, as we plunged into the cloud layer and the screen started to crack in front of me and I realized that I was likely going to die soon, the air was getting hard to breathe. I'd never heard the sound of metal tearing before. I guess we were in pieces when we hit, but I never looked back to check. I just stared straight forward and watched the ground come up to meet me. It was as alien as every other alien world, no more or less strange, but I remember thinking that... I'd have rather died somewhere else, rather have had my brains splashed out over green grass instead of what was rushing to meet me. I don't know when I passed out, but I don't remember the crash. When I woke up, my first thought was, I'm not dead. Then I wondered if I was being premature, because I hadn't tried to move or even to open my eyes. So I tried to move, and I couldn't. My back felt sore, but apart from that, nothing hurt. I wiggled my fingers and my toes, and that worked okay. No, I wasn't dead, but I couldn't move. So I tried opening my eyes, and then I saw why I couldn't move. The planet, which didn't have a name then, just an ident number, it was like being underwater. There was ground foliage like moss, and it was blue-green, and it grew everywhere. There were soft fungal trees, the biggest a couple of meters high, and they were blue-green too, only darker. There were aquamarine rock structures that turned out to be plants as well, pocked and pitted in jagged coral spires, with the moss stuff clambering up around their roots. And everywhere, dripping in globs and threads from every surface, was what could only be described as blue goo, like raspberry jelly mixed with glue. And the reason that I couldn't move was that I was still strapped into my seat. But my seat wasn't in the shuttle. It was flat on its side, tangled up in the remains of one of those fungus bushes. I fumbled with the clasp, and eventually it sprang open, and I tumbled out. I figured I was pretty lucky that my suit hadn't torn, and I was even luckier that my helmet was still in one piece. The gauge said that I had oxygen enough for five days, which, it occurred to me, meant that I had five days before my air ran out and I died of suffocation, because no one was likely to come looking for us. Still, I'm a natural optimist. 
When I looked back and saw what was left of the cockpit, saw the line of crushed fauna that I'd been propelled through after my exit from the remains of the screen, I thought to myself, you are definitely a lucky guy. I was alive with no breaks or wounds, not so much as a headache. Even my back wasn't so sore anymore, and I wasn't about to complain. Still, I'd have been even happier if the suit radio had been working. I didn't blame myself for what had happened. It was a freak accident, if ever there was one. But the crew were my responsibility, and I felt better for knowing that they were okay, too. It wasn't going to be too difficult finding them, though, just a case of following the line of wreckage and damage, assuming that we'd come down fairly straight. But my first priority was to get some equipment together. A lot of what we'd need was in the storage compartments, which had been in the back of the shuttle, but I was hoping that the spares in the cockpit lockers might still be in one place. Unfortunately for me, the cockpit wasn't going to be so easy to get to. It had lodged somehow between two of the coral spires, about ten meters off the ground. With no climbing gear, I figured it wasn't going to be much fun getting up there. I started up the spire to my left, and actually, even fully suited, it wasn't so bad. There were footholds and handhelds aplenty. The surface of the monolith was like a moonscape in miniature. I was worried that the blue goom might be slippery, but it turned out to be slightly adhesive and strong enough to hang on to in a pinch. It helped as well that the gravity was fairly low, about two-thirds Earth standard, I guessed. As I climbed, I had my first encounters with the local fauna. There were plenty of critters hiding out in nooks and crannies, worms and things like miniature jellyfish that sprang about like fleas on tiny legs, and large translucent slugs that didn't do much of anything but hang upside down. What struck me most was their coloring, except for the brilliantly blood-red worms, most of the creatures had opted for shades that camouflaged them, more or less with their surroundings, but there wasn't one that didn't have at least a patch of bright blue on it somewhere. It was the same blue as the gunk that was everywhere, and I didn't know what to make of it. Still, I thought, hanging on to an alien rock for dear life wasn't the best time to worry about it. I could come back later and take samples then. Anyway, I made it to the cockpit pretty easily. Getting in was harder. It wasn't wedged in half as firmly as I thought, but the whole back half was just a hole, and thanks to the low gravity, I managed to swing myself up without too much trouble. Inside, except for the shattered screen, everything was pretty much how I'd left it. The lockers were buckled and dented, but they held together. I started to crawl towards them on hands and knees, inching forward as slowly as I could. But for all my caution, I realized pretty quickly that I'd made a mistake. About halfway to the lockers, the world shifted with a screech of twisting metal. I was thrown forward as the whole cockpit started its final descent to the ground, first slowly as it slid loose, then plummeting in freefall. My leg hit something hard and hurt like all hell, and I passed out for the second time that day. When I woke, I was still in the cockpit, only upside down. My leg didn't hurt anymore. When I stood up, I still felt fine, so I went over to a locker, baffled myself with the inverted keypad for a while, and finally wrenched it open. I wouldn't be able to carry much, so I settled on stuffing a kit bag with food and water pouches, a med pack, a gun, of course, and so that no one could accuse me of not taking my job seriously, a sampler. Then I clambered out of the wrecked cockpit through the gaping hole at the back, and it took a minute to get my bearings. As a last thought, I rifled through my suit pouch for the bag of picture I kept there, Eleanor and the twins and Earth and all its glory behind them, and tucked it into the band around my helmet. With my lucky charm in place, I felt safer, and I set off walking. The direction was clear. There were chunks of metal scattered like tinfoil, shattered fungus plants, dented coral formations, 
and other flotsam of our impromptu landing in a trail of carnage that led straight ahead of me. It was fairly easy going, the moss stuff was easy to walk on, and the low gravity about doubled the length of my paces. The suit seemed to be working all right, keeping my temperature comfortable and keeping hunger and thirst at bay. Soon I was bounding along after my trail of morbid breadcrumbs, stopping only to take the occasional sample. Not having much in the way of xenobiological training, I took my usual approach of taking a bit of everything, every plant and every creature, and a few things that I wasn't too sure what they were. But the first thing I set the analyzer on after my discovery climbing the rock spire was that blue goo. I was curious, and intuition and experience told me that it was a major player in this ecosystem. If you enjoyed this story, you may find more at Chaos Theory Tales Askew, located at www.genspace.com, spelled G-E-N-S-P-A-C-E dot com. Just click the top eyeball. You'll know what I mean. <laughs>